You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That was Joseph. You can see that in Genesis 50, verse 20. It's actually a good summary of human history. You know, God working out His plan through the sin that has filled the world. But it's also a good sort of illustration and summary of what we have in the life of the Apostle Paul. See, Joseph too was one that God had sort of revealed his plan to and, and shown him that he was going to one day rule over his family, his brothers, his father, his mother. And so you can, you can debate on whether or not it was wise for him to tell his family that. But he did tell them of his dreams and they hated him even more because Joseph was his daddy's favorite and had a coat of many colors and his brothers were really jealous and maybe he sort of willingly stepped into that role. We don't know. But the long story short is the path to accomplishing God's purpose in his life which was to put him on the throne and save many alive in, in, that, uh, in Egypt through the famine was accomplished by him going through many hardships and trials. So betrayed, beaten, sold by his brothers. Actually, they wanted to kill him at first, but were talked out of it by the eldest. And so they were sold to the Midianite traders. They go in and, and you know, he's, he's exalted in Potiphar's house, but then is lied about and said that he tried to rape his wife. So he's in prison. And just one thing after another is going on until God works with His providence through the, through the famine and through some things He worked in Joseph in, in the prison as He interpreted some dreams to finally exalt Him to the throne. But see, God had a plan for Joseph all along and He was going to accomplish that plan and nothing and nobody could stop it. Well, the same is true for the Apostle Paul. He too will be protected through great trials until God's purpose for him is accomplished. I titled the sermon Killing Paul because that's exactly what they're trying to do. That's what they thought they were going to be able to do. But see, God wasn't finished with him yet. And all of God's purposes were going to be worked out in the life of of Joseph, in the life of Paul and Peter and the rest, in the life of Jesus, and in your life and in my life. And so today as we see, sort of we take a glimpse at another trial and struggle of the Apostle Paul, what I want you to take away from this sermon, the main point actually that I'm bringing out of this is God is sovereign and accomplishes all of His purposes, which include His detailed plan for our individual lives. God is sovereign and accomplishes all of His purposes, which include His detailed plan for our individual lives. Most of us probably don't think about or maybe don't even believe that God has a detailed plan for our life. But He does. And he's working it out. And listen, I'll tell you something you already know. That path is filled with many trials and struggles and confusion and hardship and joy, thankfully. But God is working out His plan. 
No maverick molecule in the universe, R.C. Sproul said. God is sovereign. He is king. He is God. He is in control. And he is accomplishing all, accomplishing all of his purposes, which include his detailed plan for our individual lives. Well, let's look at first the plot to kill Paul. Verses 11 through 22. The plot to kill the Apostle Paul. First, we're going to look at just verse 11. And I want to say it this way. God's plan will be accomplished in the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, God had, uh, Jesus had told Ananias before he came and baptized Paul, rather reluctantly, he was afraid of him when Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9, had told him that he would, Paul was his chosen instrument to be his witness before Gentiles, before Israel, and before kings. And that last part is yet to be fulfilled. But Paul's been going through a lot of hardship, and he's been warned about this hardship. We saw that already in previous sermons. But this could get rather discouraging, and you know, the trials can pile up on us sometime. And there's going to be a serious trial ahead of him where he's, they are seeking to kill him. And look at the graciousness of Jesus to appear before him. The night after the council and before, the, as the plot is being developed and established, Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul and he says, look at this, take courage as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you know, exactly what I told you to do. We've seen that previously. So you must testify also in Rome. Now think about this. Paul doesn't know about the plot to kill him yet. He doesn't know why God is bringing His Word to life powerfully, why Jesus has appeared to him. But God is, Jesus is comforting him. He's assuring him. He's, he's you know, bolstering him up for what is to come that Paul doesn't know about. But he says, notice he says, you have testified about me in Jerusalem and you must testify about me in Rome. Now what is that telling us? Jesus has a plan for the Apostle Paul, and it culminates in him testifying in Rome. So nothing between this moment and that moment is going to stop him from accomplishing that plan. Jesus doesn't say to Paul, you've testified for me in Jerusalem, and I really hope I can get you to Rome so you can testify for me there. No, he says, you must you will. What is he saying? I have a plan and I'm going to accomplish that plan. I'm going to accomplish that purpose. And this, this appearance and this word has to comfort and strengthen Paul. Jesus' word is comforting and strengthening and preparing Paul for the trials of life. Same thing he does with us through his word. Jesus is saying, my plan for you will be accomplished, be at peace. That's true of us too. It's true of us too. He has a plan for us. I pointed you to this verse before, but I want to point you to it again. I want you to remember it, mark it down. This will help you in many of the struggles and trials you face in your life. This is a good word from Jesus. This is a good word from God, just like this one to the Apostle Paul and every other one that we have. But Psalm 139.16 says this, and I'm quoting this out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible because I think they got it most clearly 
and rightly in the way that we can understand it. But watch this. This is the second part of the verse of Psalm 139.16. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. All my days. Not just some of my days. Not just most of my days. All of my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Because I am sovereign. I am in control. I am accomplishing my purpose. I am God. He knows all things. Actual impossible. He knows all things from the beginning to the end. He's able to tell us what of that He wants to. And yet, see, God is sovereign. We are responsible. We're not puppets. We make real choices. And yet He's woven our freedom into His plan to accomplish His purpose. But listen, this is not just for David. This is for you as well. All of my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. That's why Stonewall Jackson could say, I'm as safe in battle as I am in bed until the day God has marked out for me. It made him bold because he trusted God and His Word and it will do the same thing for us. Coronavirus is not going to kill you until the day that was marked out for you. There's a lot of hysteria going on. To me, the flu's a whole lot scarier, but I'm, I'm done with that. That's not part of the sermon. Every one of your days were marked out before there was one of them. So if you tend to be a worrier, I can relate to that. You tend to be... This kind of thing will bolster you up. See, it's not by chance. God is working out His plan. He's documented His plan. He will accomplish His plan. Nothing can stop Him. And it's not just a big meta plan. It is that. Accomplishment of God's glory in Christ His Son by saving His people and dwelling with them forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But that plan comes all the way down to our individual lives. So Jesus tells Paul, listen, you've, you've been faithful in Jerusalem and you're going to be faithful in Rome. And so it, it, that's going to be accomplished. Now we know as he is delivering Paul from this threat, eventually Paul will be martyred by the Roman Empire. But that was only after his purpose, God's purpose in him was fulfilled and his days were brought to an end. But God doesn't always, just to highlight, we've seen this already in, in Acts chapter 7. God doesn't always deliver his children from danger. Sometimes he delivers us through danger. There have been many martyrs in the history of the church. And Stephen was one of them, but it was all according to plan. Stephen in Acts 7, when, when God's purpose for him was complete, and the only way we know that is we see what happened, then he called him home. So Stephen was martyred, but Paul is delivered in this instance. So Jesus has a plan for Paul, there's a, but there's a plan to kill Paul. And in verses 12 and following, you see the Jews, a group of 40 men, taking an oath that they will neither eat nor drink until the Apostle Paul is dead. That is a violation of God's law. They go to the Jewish leadership and tell them of their plan. And the Jewish leadership doesn't say, nope, thou shalt not murder. This is a violation. They actually sign off on the plan. And these men have taken an oath to kill the Apostle Paul. 
But look at this. We, never, we don't know anything about Paul's family uh, except for this. And evidently they lived in Jerusalem or in that sort of area. You know, Paul was educated there and all of those kind of things under Gamaliel. But then suddenly his nephew pops up. His sister's son somehow, not by chance, heard of the plot. See, the God who has ordained the ends also ordains all the means to those ends. And His means of deliverance of Paul in this instance was to have this youth hear of the ambush and go tell the tribune about it. So the conspiracy is uncovered. And his, his nephew hears about it and he goes to the, to the barracks. Evidently, since Paul is a Roman citizen, there's a lot of freedom for visits. So his nephew is able to go in there and tell Paul what's going on. And this, the way this is written, he's, he's maybe in his late teens or early 20s. So he's not a little child. He's, a, he's probably a late teenager, early 20s age. And so he goes in and tells Paul. Paul tells him to tell the tribune. He tells the tribune about their plan. Notice God has taken their secret plan, laid it out in the open through this young man and brought it to the tribune because he has more plans for the apostle Paul. And the tribune says, don't tell anybody that you have informed me of these things. But he gave him details and he told him exactly what they were planning, how they were going to call Paul down and what they were going to do and ambush him on the way. They had a plot to kill the apostle Paul. But God brings it to light and delivers the apostle Paul. You might be wondering then, since, since God delivered Paul, did these guys starve themselves to death? No, because there was a, a provision uh, that if the, your oath that you've taken becomes impossible to fulfill, then you're no longer under that oath. So they probably then just kind of dropped it. But look at this. That was the plot to kill Paul. That's the conspiracy to kill Paul. And this is not the first one. And, you know, we'll talk more about that later. But now look at the, the, plan, or the plan to kill Paul. Now the plan to protect Paul. In 23 and following, what you see gathered and, and a cohort in Jerusalem which would be there in the barracks by the temple to keep peace in the empire and it was a particularly vol volatile place. There would have been a thousand soldiers there. And, you know, we learn the tribune's name, Claudius Lysias, in this passage. He takes the threat so seriously that he sends almost half of the soldiers that were in Jerusalem with the Apostle Paul to get him out of town. I mean, 40 men are plotting against him. He sends 470 with him. He's not taking any chances. I mean, he's already almost flogged a Roman citizen, and that would get him in huge trouble. He's not taking any chances that this plot is going to succeed. So two centurions, 200, you know, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, taking him to Caesarea. And, and they're actually going to let not make Paul walk. They're going to have a mount for him and let him ride as they take him to see Felix. The point is, he's heavily guarded. Forty Jews, no matter what implements of war they might have been able to find, are not going to get through 
200 spearmen, 200 soldiers, and 70 horsemen. It's just not going to happen. And besides, the guys who are plotting don't even know that the plot has been exposed, and by the time they find out about it, Paul's going to be in Caesarea. God is delivering His servant. And I find it interesting that Claudius, there's, he's, he's heavily guarding Paul, and he writes a very selective letter. This is, this is Claudius Lysias sort of shining up his participation in this whole matter and leaving out some details. In 26 and following, it says, Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the, gov his Excellency, the Governor Felix, Governor of Judea up around into Cilicia where Paul was from, Tarsus, and on around the horn down into Judea. He says this, Claudius Lysias to excellent Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, that's true, and was about to be killed by them, that's true. When I came upon them with the soldiers and, look, rescued him, he doesn't say he arrested him, he says, when I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. He hasn't learned that yet when this happened. In fact, he arrested him, took him into the barracks, and was going to flog him when he found out he was a Roman citizen and backed off because that would have been against the law. And he says, desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, charged with nothing. Notice, as we go through this story, you're going to see pretty much all of the Roman officials actually, in their own words, acquit Paul of anything deserving death. And so does he. He says it's, a, it's something to do with their law. It's nothing, nothing deserving death or even imprisonment. And he said, when it was disclosed to me that there was a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers to state their case before you. So he's like, you know, he cleans up his participation. He sends the letter. He sends Paul. He sends this big army with him to make sure that he arrives in Caesarea safely. And he does. They take him, you know, the whole band goes halfway. When you see Antipatris there, that was about halfway to Caesarea. And then the, the soldiers peel off and the horsemen take Paul on to Caesarea. And I'll let you read that again if you want to. But he's delivered, the letter is delivered to Felix. Paul is delivered to Felix. And the plot to kill Paul fails. And we'll see Paul before Felix next time we look at this. There's something ironic about this story, and, and we struggle a lot with why would you know, we suffer and why would he suffer and all of this kind of stuff. Paul is protected and brought safely to speak to the highest levels of Roman society and eventually to the emperor. And it is very unlikely that if Paul had journeyed as part of a missionary outreach to Rome on his own, that such a high-level audience would have been possible. It's very doubtful that this little Jewish rabbi trucking to Rome is going to have an audience with Felix and an audience with the emperor. But because God has a plan for him, which includes a lot of trial and suffering, and because he's been misunderstood and because he's been arrested, he's going to be actually just safely delivered into the presence of governors and the emperor with the gospel. See, there's pain in the plan, but there's purpose in the plan as well. And Jesus' purpose is going to be accomplished. 
There's a lot of times when we can't see, probably most times we can't see why things are happening the way they're happening, unless we're in the Word and interpreting them by the Word. But God is surely at work, just as He was in the Apostle Paul. He's surely at work in ways we could not have planned to bring us to places we would have never dreamed we would go. You dropped me back 20 years and I would have bet you a lot of money I wouldn't be standing right here telling you this this morning. Or 30 years. I forget how old I am. It goes by fast, kids. God is accomplishing His purpose of bringing, just like Jesus said He would come before kings, He is bringing Him through king to, before kings. He's in charge. The plan is not fun always, but He's in control and accomplishing His purpose to get His gospel to the heart of the empire and even those in Caesar's house will be converted. And we'll see that. But we're going to stop right there. We'll see Paul before Felix next week. Let me just make a few points of application before we transition to the Lord's Supper. The first one is a reminder. Because I think this addresses something that we just sort of assume. Whether we say it out loud, it's floating back there in the background. Now, now watch this. Paul has done nothing wrong. He is an apostle. He is a servant of God. All he's doing is trying to get the gospel out, trying to bring help for, back to Jerusalem. He loves his Jewish brothers and sisters and he wants them to come to faith in Jesus. He's done nothing wrong since he was converted and forgiven. And yet his life is filled with difficulty. I mean, read 2 Corinthians. You can skip chapter 11 if you want to see a summary. He's, he's actually doing everything right, and yet his life is filled with difficulty. The truth of the matter is, if you read Scripture and you read church history, you'll see that some of the most godly people are also some of the people who suffer the most. Spurgeon with his gout, and on down you could go. See, this goes against our religious mindset, doesn't it? By default, we tend to think that living right will, be, will bring what we describe as blessing and ease. I know when things are going well in your life, just in the culture, you'll hear people say things like, well, you must have paid the preacher, whatever that means. <laughs> or, or good things will be happening in somebody's life and people will say, you must be living right. Come on now, you know we think that way. I don't know why my life is, is in such disruption right now. I, I mean, honestly, I've been, I've been going to church regularly and reading my Bible and giving and serving and even witnessing. And things are falling apart. That's the way it happens. Get, we need to get the legalism out of our head. Living right, whatever that is, even if in your mind it is, is trying to love and honor and obey God, does not lead to an easy life. Now sometimes, praise God, we do have easy times and blessings, but we think it should be that way all the time. And it, and it shouldn't. It wouldn't be good for you. wouldn't be good for me. See, we're Job's counselors. We are. 
We have to fight against that with the gospel. What were Job's counselors assuming? Because Job was suffering, Job had sinned. And if he just confessed his sin, things would get better. Because if he was living right, this wouldn't be happening to him. They were rebuked by God for thinking that way. They were doing good when they were sitting around with Job around the fire and keeping their mouths shut. But as soon as they started opening their mouths, things just went astray. Because he was the most righteous man in the, in the district. And yet we know why, we get a peek behind the curtain why a lot of that was happening. But his friends assumed he, had, he was a sinner. Live right if, if that means loving and honoring, enjoying, obeying God. Because you love Him, because of His grace to you in Christ, look to the cross and know He loves you. And believe Jesus when He tells you, John 16.33, in this world you will have trouble. He's speaking to His apostles there and through them to us in His Word and giving us proper expectations. If trouble comes, it's not necessarily a sign that you are not living right. And if you are living right and trouble comes, and nothing's wrong. Paul would say to Timothy, the last letter he wrote before he was martyred, he would say to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be blessed and highly favored. Praise God. I'm sorry. That's another channel you might want to watch. No, don't. You'll have trouble. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't forget, we have spiritual enemy as well as a physical enemy. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood primarily. Christian life is a battle, but Jesus is real with us. He says it's going it's, to... He said before, when Paul was coming to faith, he will see how much he must suffer for me. Nothing's wrong in Paul's life Nothing's wrong with the way he's living that is causing him to go through all this trouble. In fact, he's going through all this trouble because he's trying to live right. He's trying to love and honor Jesus and he's trying to get the gospel out. And that will happen to me and it will happen to you. There will be struggles in the Christian life. But try to get it out of your mind that living right equals ease. Try to, normally speaking, living right brings trouble. I remember when I was first converted, they told me if I'd just come to Jesus, all my problems would be over. My life blew up. I thought I was going crazy. Until I found some better teaching that started explaining what was happening. People who try Jesus, leave Jesus. Unless they make up a Jesus that fits into their plans. See, Paul is living right, and yet all hell has broken loose in his life, and they are trying to kill him. But Jesus and his plan will be accomplished. And listen, secondly, the first point was Paul has done nothing wrong, living right, you know, think rightly about that. Secondly, the wicked have always sought to slay the righteous. Look, look at Psalm, Psalm 37. 
32 says, The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. People who don't love God don't love those who follow God. When did this start? I mean, right after the fall, Cain and Abel, right? The righteous one was Abel. Cain killed him because he was jealous. Joseph's brothers. Remember, I, I, go, go back and read Genesis 37 and following. He was protected, but he went through a lot of trouble because his brothers initially were trying to kill him and then finally they just wanted to get rid of him. And in fact, they told their dad, his daddy he was dead, took bloody garments back to him. How about David and Saul? A man after God's own heart, righteous, seeking to serve the king and the king was trying to pin him to the wall because he was jealous. How about others, other faithful prophets and servants of God? In Hebrews 11, 36-38, it says this, Others suffered mocking. Now watch this. These are faithful people. These are people who had faith, like Isaiah and others in the Old Testament. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They were wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. See, the, 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 why did the wicked want to kill the righteous? Because the devil comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And he targets the church. He can't take away our salvation, but he wants to mute our witness. But the fact is, the more, the more persecution that comes to the church, the more church is purified, and the more the gospel goes forth. And that must be highly frustrating to him. But God is accomplishing all of his purpose. Satan is a dog on a leash. He's only able to do what God allows him to do and what He allows him to do, He uses for good and accomplishes His purpose through. Because He promises us all things work together for good. For everybody? No. For those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Because God is working all things for good. But some of that is through suffering. Praise God, there are blessings, but there's also suffering. And listen, the wicked seeking to kill the righteous culminates in Jesus, doesn't it? That's why they put Him on the cross. They hated Him. Because He pointed out their sin. And how they had made it all about them and how they were violating God's law. And when they made a convert, they made them twice the child of hell that they were. I mean, you can see why the Pharisees and Sadducees loved Jesus, right? The wicked put Jesus to death to get rid of Him. devil thought he'd won. But God was accomplishing His purpose through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Bringing the greatest good from the greatest horror, horror to save His people from their sin. And those people were not puppets who put Jesus on the cross. They did exactly what they wanted to do. The Jews put Him and killed Him through, through Roman hands. And yet God was working out His plan. Had foreordained it. Acts 2, Pope Peter says about Jesus. And accomplished His purpose of Jesus dying for the sins of His people. 
See, Jesus was even protected until the day marked out for him. You remember? I mean, even in his own hometown when he said, today, in your hearing, this prophecy in Isaiah is fulfilled. And at first they were like, oh, wow, cool. And then they were like, wait a minute. That can only be the Messiah. And then they wanted to stone him and kill him and took him to a cliff to throw him off. And he passed right through the middle of them because it wasn't his time yet. God protected his son as he fulfilled all righteousness and brought him through the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus prayed, not my will but yours be done, your purpose be accomplished in me. And he died on that cross not because he was a victim and not because Satan or the Jews Jewish leadership won, but he died on that cross and paid the penalty. He satisfied justice. He took hell upon himself on that cross. The Father poured out the wrath due our sin on his Son so that we could be forgiven. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And that all who turn and trust in him will be saved. God accomplishes His purpose through the wickedness of men that they are responsible for. God never causes anyone to sin or choose evil. God had a plan and He has accomplished up to this day in exact detail according to His plan and it will continue going until the return of Christ and through that until we live with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. See, this is what we see in Paul. Protected and used until the day he was martyred and his life was a total success. Even though he was seeking to stamp out and kill the church, by God's grace he was brought to faith in Jesus and arrested on the Damascus Road. He was forgiven and cleansed and empowered to be a gospel witness and an apostle. And God used him and completed his plan in him and then took him to heaven and set him free. Mission accomplished. God's plan fulfilled. And listen, I'm going to end here. Just like God had a plan for Joseph, just like He had a plan for the Apostle Paul, just like He had a plan for Jesus, He has one for you. A detailed plan. I get that from His Word. Look at this, Psalm 57, 1 and 2. These are both from David. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge till the storm of destruction passes by. Things weren't going easy. I cry out to God Most High, watch this, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. God was fulfilling His purpose through David, through Paul, through Jesus. All the way down to us. Psalm 138, 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, see? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. Watch this vote of confidence. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. 
So David said, he's praying out, calling out to God who fulfills his purpose for him. And then he says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And as we read the rest of scripture, we see that God is sovereign and in control and has a purpose, not just a broad, vague purpose for his creation, but a very detailed plan that he's working out. Not a maverick molecule in the universe, not a maverick molecule in your life. He's working out his purpose. And listen, we rarely get a glimpse of it, do we? We rarely think about it. He's not hiding it from us. We just don't need to know all the details. We couldn't figure it out if we tried. Because we don't have God's mind. You know? I mean, think about God's knowledge. He's infinite in knowledge. But if His knowledge is represented by these walls, and if you compare our knowledge to His knowledge, you might put a dot on the wall, and you really wouldn't because infant, if something that's infinite, we would disappear in the midst. But if, you're, if your knowledge is a dot, and God's knowledge and wisdom is all this, might He do things that you can't figure out and that don't make sense to you? Uh-huh. Might He be able to be completely sovereign and yet us be free and responsible? Yes. Might He be able to work out a very detailed plan for our lives through our free and intentional decisions? Yes. Does He lay everything out before us from A to Z so that we can see it all? No, it would scare us to death. But He faithfully steps us through one step at a time. And sometimes He lets us see a glimpse of a piece of it. But most of the time, I love the illustration Cindy's used and others used. I know it wasn't original with her. That, that God is, is putting together this fine piece of, of tapestry or rug. Think about it. And he is, he is weaving together His glory in Christ, salvation of His people, new heavens and new earth. But He's the only one that can see the pretty side of it. We live on the naughty side of that rug. And it just looks all disorganized and not doesn't look like anything good. Someday we'll get on the other side and see that it was. But God works in us through our decisions, our plans, our trials, through others' attacks and desires to harm us. He is at work accomplishing His plan for His glory and our good so we can trust and we can rest and we can pray with Jesus, Lord, Your will be done. Not mine. I don't have to know about it. I don't have to figure it out. Just help me to follow you daily and to be faithful to you and grow in you and know that trouble will come through in the midst of that and not throw in the towel. Trust Him. Rest in Him. Live for Him. And know that He has you. Sometimes we talk about finding God's will as though He's hiding it from us. We want a crystal ball Christianity, don't we? Or a magic eight ball. You remember those? Lord, which woman should I marry? Woo. Janice. No. Lord. This <laughs> <laughs> is not how it works. But He is with us and for us and leading us through. And our days were marked out before there was one. And when that one comes, we will be ushered into glory. Because of Jesus. Paul said this in Philippians. He said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
See, Paul was submissive to God's will. That's why he went to Jerusalem knowing trouble was coming. That's why he returned there and it happened. He's in the midst of it, but he notice the, the grace of Jesus to reassure him before this plot comes to pass. And see, he's just following Jesus who in the garden, sweating blood because of the stress of facing God's wrath, not the nails, for his people. Yet praying, not my will, but yours be done. Your plan be accomplished, Lord. I know you have one. And I know it's very detailed. And I know my days were written down before there was one. So help me to trust you. Help me to seek to live faithfully for you. And know that seeking first the kingdom of God, that is your will and plan for me. To make good decisions based on the principles of your word. But most of all, to know that you are with me and for me and accomplishing all of your purpose in me. You caused the hard times to work for my growth in grace and the easy times to work for my growth in grace. And most of it is over my head and beyond my understanding. But the cross, I look to the cross and the fact that you would sacrifice your son for me and that tells me you love me and that tells me I can trust you. See, in the midst of our suffering, we, can too, we too can pray, not my will but yours be done if we trust him. And the better we know Him, the more we will trust Him. And the more peace we will have in the midst of the storm. Like Jesus, who was asleep in the boat. Submission to His will brings confidence and peace. He is definitely in control. They may mean it for evil, but God always means it for good for His children. Love and trust and rest in Him and seek to live for His glory. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, that's the cry of our heart every day, I think, because none of us have a perfect faith. Help us to trust You. Lord, help us to have a passion for You and for Your Word and to be hiding Your Word in our hearts so that we... Don't sin against you, yes, but so that we know you and know that the depth of your love and for us, the exhaustiveness of your plan, so that it fuels responsibility, not laziness, so it fuels us walking in, in dedication and passion for you, but so that it fuels a heart that's at peace and at rest in you. Because you are sovereign. There is no maverick molecule. We cannot understand all that exhaustively. But we can know what your word has revealed. So help us to know it. Help us to trust you. And help us to look to Christ in order to know of your love, of your grace, of your, of your good intention for us, of your, your presence with us to bless. Thank you that Christ lived for us and provided a perfect righteousness for His people. And then He died for us and made a perfect sacrifice for our sins so that all of our sins are washed away through His death and He gifts us His righteous standing before you. And that Christ was raised from the dead proving it all true and is reigning today to see His gospel go to the ends of the earth. 
Lord, help us to trust you. I pray for those who are listening to me right now, maybe young, old, in between, who aren't trusting you, who are running from you, who are resisting your gospel. I pray that you would bring them to faith. Pray for those who are confused by life and hurting, that you would grant clarity and, and comfort through your word. Those of us who know you, help us to love you and trust you and live for you, Lord. Continue to accomplish your purpose through your gospel for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.